This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Scott Cunningham and is part four of our summer study on Proverbs. A couple of years ago, our church published this uh, study on these 10 passages that we read during a special service in Easter called the Great Vigil of Easter. And one of them about creation was written by our very own John Rains, the guy who was leading worship this morning. He's also a theologian. How about that? Uh, and he used this analogy for creation that I've never forgotten. And I'm totally poaching it. Uh, basically, John says, if you look at a tree or a piece of wood, one of the first things you'll notice is the grain which runs up and down the tree. And I didn't know this, but it runs up and down the tree because it's basically like a highway for the, the nutrients going from the soil to all over the tree. And eventually, the, those fibers harden uh, which is why the tree looks like it does, and it gives the tree stability and long life and all these beautiful things. So the, the grain in the wood is functional, it's purposeful, and I think we can all agree it's beautiful. And if you're a carpenter, which I am not, uh, I hear that there's a way that you can work with wood that flows with the grain, that kind of beautifies the way the tree wants to work. Or you can, as the saying goes, go against the grain. The Bible teaches us that God created the world with the same amount of function, purpose, and beauty. If you will, and this is John's analogy, God created the world with a grain. It's pretty cool. And the Bible calls the grain of the world that runs through everything wisdom. So Proverbs says the world was created in wisdom. You, the world, mathematics, human relationships, business, Everything is included with that grain of the wisdom with which God created the world. So there's this logic deep in creation. And one of the things that Proverbs says is fundamental to our grain is friendship. So it says that friendship is actually a really sacred and foundational part of who we are as images of God. So all this means two things. First of all, you were created with a grain. You have a grain. Did you know that? Out of context, that's super weird. If I came to you at a coffee shop and was like, my, you have a lovely grain, you'd be like, back off, dude. <laughs> but you have a grain. And number two, a huge part of that grain is that you were built, you are made for friendship. It's part of who you are. Proverbs is saying, if you want to be a wise woman or a wise man, you will flow with that grain with friendship. So this morning, we're going to look at a few different Proverbs. Proverbs has a bunch of different topics in kind of the way it's set up. It's kind of all over the place. We're going to collect a few that have to do with friendship, and I think when we look at them, there are three characteristics that kind of rise to the surface. So we're going to look at these three characteristics of biblical flow-with-the-grain friendship. Then I want us to take a step back, and I want us to think about what's unique about Christian biblical friendship. Sound good? All right, everybody grab your bulletin. So three things. Uh, on the nature of biblical friendship. And these all are kind of similar, so they're good for note-taking, I hope. Um, number one, biblical friendship is faithful in its presence. Biblical friendship is faithful in its presence. So grab your bulletin and look with me at Proverbs 17, 17. It's the first one there. I'm going to read it, and you can follow along. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24. You 
I'll go ahead and read that one as well. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend loves at all times. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Basically, Proverbs is saying here that true friendship that flows with the grain of how we were made is consistent and it lasts through thick and thin. So as I've been thinking about this, all of us have had friendships that have really been a huge part of our life and been super important to us. And every now and then, life gives you the opportunity, usually in the form of a microphone, to kind of tell your friend what they mean to you. So this is like speech at a wedding, uh, going away party, whatever it is. And this idea of somebody being there at all times, a brother born for adversity, is kind of one of the things that comes up most, I find. So somebody at a speech or something says, man, you were there with me through so many years, in the worst times. When my parents got divorced, you came over to my house and we watched Star Trek and ate pizza. And you have no idea what that meant to me. When I was in high school and I did something that was so shameful that I just wanted to bury my head in the sand and move to another state, you stayed as my friend. You were, you were faithful. A friend loves at all times. That's what the Bible's getting at here. You can have a lot of connections and acquaintances in your life, a lot of Facebook friends, and still come to ruin, according to the book of Proverbs. But there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That kind of friendship is what we were built for. So that's number one. Biblical friendship is faithful in its presence. Number two is this. Biblical friendship is faithful in its counsel. Biblical friendship is faithful in its counsel. Look at Proverbs 27.9. So look back at your bulletin real quick. I'm going to read Proverbs 27.9. It says this. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Let me try to get at what I think this is saying. All of us know what it feels like to be on the inside or the outside of a conversation that we so desperately want to be a part of. So think high school cafeteria or like dinner party or whatever. You're talking to somebody and out of the corner of their eye you see all these people that you so admire who like love the stuff you love and you really respect them and you're just like, what do I have to do to just get in to that conversation? How do I get a seat at the table with those people? I don't want to use them. I just want to be a part of that. And likewise, pair that experience with the experience of being a part of the beauty and sweetness of a conversation among friends. Full vulnerability, fully known, full disclosure, and just full joy. So think of like five-hour campfire conversation that you look down and it's 2 o'clock in the morning and you're like, what? Or a cookie dough sleepover. Those kind of times aren't means to an end. They're just beautiful. It's like fragrant as perfume, oil running down the head, belly laughter. You don't want to go anywhere else. When Proverbs talks about the sweetness of a friend's earnest counsel, I think that's what it's getting at. There is a way where the word counsel does mean advice, and that's a part of this. We love friends for advice. But also, I think in light of the biblical context of how this is used in this word, this is kind of what it's talking about, this full access, full vulnerability, and fully, fully known and being known. It's really interesting. There's only two people in the Old Testament who are called friends of God, Abraham and Moses. And for both of them, it has to do with this idea. 
So if you know in Genesis, uh, the story about Sodom and Gomorrah, God shares a meal with, with Abraham. He like cooks up some food and they share a meal. And then they just start walking and God's like, let's just talk to Abraham about what we're doing. And they just have this open, full dialogue. Moses, on the other hand, Exodus says, used to go in when the people of Israel were in the wilderness and meet with God in the tent of meeting. And it says he used to talk to God face to face, just like a friend. Amazing. These people, Abraham and Moses, they had this access into almost God's confidence in a really unique way. That's what this is getting at. So number two, biblical friendship is faithful in its counsel. We're made, it's a part of your grain, to feel that delight and that unity in someone else's confidence. Number three, biblical friendship is faithful in its wounds. It's faithful in its wounds. Proverbs 27, six. Look at that in your bulletin real quick. Love this proverb. This is a good tattoo proverb. All, all proverbs are good tattoo proverbs. But anyways... Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, biblical friendship will challenge you and rebuke you when you need it, and all of us are going to need it at some point. This, more than anything else, I find saturates the Proverbs, this idea of rebuke. And more than anything else, I find that we struggle with this as a culture more than anything else. So case in point, uh, this past year, maybe it was a couple years ago, I can't remember, but I, very, I remember it vividly. I was driving to the city on 290, and where 290 switches up to go up on 90 West, uh, there's a huge ad, a Miller Lite ad that was a huge beer can, and it just said, you do you. Which, I mean, to the whole city of Chicago, you do you. And it was rainbow colored, so it was making a political statement. But regardless of the political statement, that is like foundational to the way that we think about some relationships. So in other words, we really value a good friend as somebody who kind of protects your decisions and affirms them, and also kind of doesn't allow anything else to come in and like encroach on you for whatever it is. And in a lot of my conversations with friends, I've realized that there's almost kind of come this like contract to certain relationships. So it's like, listen, we can be friends, but I need you to kind of like sign on the dotted line that you're not going to like step across it and tell me to do something or like challenge me or anything like that. But as I've talked with friends, religious and non-religious, all across the board, uh, we've realized that you do you is the death of a healthy, beautiful friendship. That's no longer a friendship. That's just manipulative kind of puppeteering of somebody to your own ends. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse, I think Proverbs is saying, is the you do you kisses of an enemy. That's really challenging. Look at Psalm 141 real quick. It's in your bulletin. We read it this morning. This is a prayer, okay? Listen to this. Verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. When's the last time you were in a small group and you were taking prayer requests and you're like, what about you, John? And it's like, well, I've really just been praying that a righteous guy would come by and strike me. Like, could you pray for me for that? We don't pray that often, but that is a biblical prayer. 
We need, deep in our grain, you were built for having a relationship with somebody else who is going to challenge you and be faithful to you in that way. It's easy to point out what other people need. So if you're thinking right now, like, mm-hmm, Stacy needs some challenging, and like, I'm all over that. It's easy to think that, but we have things that we can't see, and therefore, we need people to strike us, according to the Bible. And according to Proverbs, friends, friends are the people who offer you that beautiful, beautiful service, who offer you that gift. Proverbs says that person's a friend. The person who just flatters you is an enemy. So we should be seeking this out, looking for it, searching for it like a, like a jewel, like an asset. Rebuke is a gift. So before we move on, Proverbs is saying that if we want to be wise people, if we want to flow with the grain, we'll be pursuing friendships that are faithful in their presence, their counsel, and their wounds. We've been using a uh, commentary by Ray Ortland for this series, and he makes this awesome point that friendship in our culture is one of the first things to kind of go. It's kind of like dispensable. So, you know, you get married and have kids, and then you put all your time towards either your family or your work. And before you know it, you don't hang out with friends anymore. You don't have any dynamic, deep friendships like this because it's not necessary, we think. Or if you aren't married, maybe you're so busy with school or athletics or your job that you live with all these awesome people, but you come home and then everybody just kind of retreats to the silo of their own digital universe. And this embodied, beautiful counsel, wounds and faithfulness just kind of disappears. That's why this kind of friendship, and I've been really struck by this this week, takes active work. This type of biblical friendship does not just happen. It takes specific active work. I used to live with three guys after I graduated from college. All of us were the same age. We're like really good friends. We're godly. Most of them went to res. And we wanted to like do community. And it never just happened. And we lived with each other. We had to literally put it in our calendar and say no to things in order for it to happen. Because Netflix was always crouching at the door and its desire was for us <laughs> to steal away any of this. And you laugh because you totally know it's true. You can see every episode of whatever and not have this type of vibrant friendship. Likewise, if you're married, I think one of the best things you can do is encourage your spouse and kick them out of the door to go and pursue this type of friendship. No excuses. Sometimes family can be an excuse to not cultivate friendships. So every year I go on a trip with my brother and some of my best friends from high school who are in ministry and deep in the Ozark Mountains over a campfire, we confess our deepest sins to one another, and then every single person goes around and has a chance to hear full-on rebuke and challenge from everybody else. And it's like marriage, work, relationship with the Lord, like, it hurts, but it's awesome. And every year, my wife wants me to go because she knows I need to be challenged on things. She lives with me, and she knows that my friends are gonna take the gloves off and they're going to speak honest things to me that I haven't heard in like months, but she knows Scott needs to hear this. And hopefully I come home more like Jesus and a much more pleasant husband. I want that same thing for her. So we need this in our life, but we're probably going to have to work for it. We're going to have to make steps for it. We're going to have to say no to other things if we want to cultivate this type of friendship. And yet, 
And yet, Christian friendship doesn't just stop there. So I want us to back up for a second. What's unique about Christian biblical friendship? Stephen talked about this a couple weeks ago, I think. I think Brett talked about this. But before we talked about how the world was created in wisdom and how the whole created order has a grain, right? And as we've learned, the grain of the world, the wisdom, is actually a someone. And what the message of the New Testament says audaciously is that the someone behind the wisdom of the world that everything comes from and points to became a person in Jesus Christ. But for our purposes this morning, what's even crazier is that Jesus, the wisdom who became a man and dwelt among us, became a man so that you could know him as a friend. The Bible teaches us that we were built for friendship with one another, like we just talked about, and also that the grain of friendship running through us points to this deeper and more beautiful fundamental truth that we were built for friendship with God. It's amazing. You may have heard, depending on kind of your familiarity with Christianity, that Christians really value marriage because it's the sacred mystery that points to the marriage between Jesus and his church. Or you may have heard that celibacy in the same way is really powerful because it reflects that same marriage in a really unique way. I've never really thought about it like this, but I think it's really profound and biblical to say that friendship is sacramental in the sense that it points to our purpose of friendship with the maker of all things. That capacity in you, nobody taught you to want friends. Who sat you down before elementary school and was like, now, you need to really care about having friends before you go to school? Nobody. You just do. That's just in you. That's meant to point you to this purpose and desire for friendship with God. Whoa. Okay, John 15. Last time I'm going to point you to something in your bulletin. But read John 15 with me a second. I'm going to read it and you can follow along. Starting in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is Jesus talking to all his friends, by the way, before he died. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is saying something remarkable here. He's calling us friends. This is God himself, the wisdom of the world, calling us friends. So with the remainder of our time today, I just want to unpack this truth. And I want us to see how Jesus is perfectly and eternally faithful in his presence, his counsel, and in his wounds. So first, Jesus is faithful in his presence. The proverb says, a friend loves at all times, and Jesus, brothers and sisters, loves at all times. He is the brother born for, for adversity. So Jesus had a lot of friends. This story has really captured me this week. But Peter was probably his best friend. It's fair to say, I think. But in Jesus' darkest hour, all his friends betrayed him. Everybody left. And as he was on trial before he went to the cross, Peter was walked up and kind of followed him. He was the only one. But when Jesus needed that brother born for adversity most, when he was at that one, that pivotal time in his life, Peter, by a fire, his best friend, denied Jesus three times and left Jesus all alone. 
in Jesus' darkest hour, no one was faithful. His friends left him. And he was wrongly convicted, tried, and executed. And as you can imagine, if you've ever been out of sorts with a friend or done something that wounded a friend and it just like sits in your gut, can you imagine Peter? Can you fathom what he felt? He loved Jesus. Peter goes back to his old life and he's just fishing. And then one day at sunrise, Jesus, risen from the dead, is on the beach, his friend, whom he betrayed and denied. And Jesus invites him back to the seashore. And like buddies do, they build a fire, cook up some fish, and by a fire, restores Peter back to full friendship. Jesus came back. He didn't revoke his friendship. Even when Jesus' friends are faithless, he is faithful. He is that kind of a friend he loves at all times. I don't know if you're visiting this morning, if you've come with some friends, you're new to Christianity. I don't know what your picture of God is like or what you think Christians believe God is like. But that picture of Jesus on the beach as a faithful friend, even when no one else is, is a keyhole into the heart of God. That is what God is like. Amen? Second, Jesus is faithful in his counsel. Remember, we talked about that history of Abraham and Moses. Uh, they have this special access to God. Listen to John 15, 15. I really want you to catch how crazy this is, what Jesus is saying. This is Jesus, the Son of God, talking. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. And here is how Jesus decides to unpack that, why he's saying that. For all that I have heard from my Father, all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Do you catch what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, you're in. You got a seat at the table in my conversation with the Father. Before, the entire people of Israel would watch one person go into the tent of meeting and speak with God like a friend. Because of the incarnation and the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, everybody gets that access to God. Can you think about the conversations that Jesus and the Father have? Those gotta be good conversations. Don't you want a seat at that table? Jesus is saying, everything I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. I can't even wrap my mind around that, but that is clearly what Jesus is saying. And I hope you see that too. One of my favorite, the favorite hymns of my grandparents was He Walks With Me. Uh, Baptist love He Walks With Me. And I grew up singing that hymn. And I always used to think it was cheesy, but man, after you read this stuff, I mean, it is just beautiful. It says this, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells him that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none has ever known. The dude who wrote that hymn understood this. When's the last time you prayed and spent time with the Lord and it wasn't for a purpose or for a prayer request? It's just to be with him. Being in his confidence, full vulnerability, full disclosure fragrant as perfume, 
sweet like honey, like oil running down your head. Amen? Amazing. Finally, Jesus is faithful in his wounds. On the one hand, no one knows this better than Jesus. Jesus sees every part of you that needs to be challenged and rebuked, uh, and you can be so confident. He loves you so much. He's, he's the God who meets you back on the seashore, but he's gonna be faithful and he's gonna challenge you. And praise God for that. We all need to be seeking Jesus and praying, Lord, what do you see about me that you wanna carve out and beautify more and more? But in another sense, Jesus as a faithful friend was wounded for our own faithlessness. He received the wounds that we should have received. And the wounds that he received on the cross are faithful to restore us like Peter. So in some ways, I feel like all of us are like Peter. We were built for friendship with God, but we all carry things where we feel like Jesus wouldn't want to be my friend anymore because I did this. But Jesus was born of Mary, went to the cross, and rose from the grave so that he could bring you and I back on the seashore and restore to us a vibrant, beautiful, and sweet friendship with the God of all things. That is good news. I can't imagine what Peter felt, but I do know how I feel in my connection with other people and with the Lord when I feel that that friendship is broken. Jesus is the great faithful friend who restores and heals friendship, not only with one another, which happens to us, but also to God himself. So let's review. You've got a grain. You've got one. If anything, you know that you have a grain. But a part of that grain is you were created to be a friend and build these kinds of dynamic relationships in your life. If this conversation's hard for you and you're thinking, man, I want that kind of friendship, uh, but this is a really sore spot for me because I'm not, I don't have it, uh, that's totally okay. This isn't in any way meant to like open up a wound or make you feel guilt or shame or anything like that. I think it's supposed to challenge us all, none of us have perfect friendships, to be pursuing this, to be asking for it, putting it in our calendar, making those steps. And we at Res, just be remiss if I didn't say this, we're praying that our church would be a seedbed for these types of relationships. The people around you, the community of faith, God has given us as friends. So maybe a really practical step for you is joining a Res group um, which signups are coming up this fall. That's a fantastic way. I've made new friendships that I didn't know last year because of our res group. Um, Al Sedano is super famous. I don't know if you guys know him. He goes to our church. He's running for president in 2020. Um, just kidding. He's not. That was a joke. Um, he's running our uh, men's ministry. And if you want to be in touch with Al, get in touch with Brett, and then he'll probably connect you with, with Al. It's a good way to see. Yeah. Men's ministry is awesome. There's a retreat coming up in September. When I joined Res, I was here for about two weeks and I just went on a men's retreat and I had no friends. And I came home from that with deep friends who are still close to me to this day. Um, likewise, the gatherings on Thursday mornings, uh, get in touch with Brett or Amy. They can connect you with the people who kind of head that up. Uh, but we want as a church to be cultivating these types of friendships. We want to work at it. Might take that extra step. But finally, I just want to leave you with that idea of following the grain of your heart with all of its capacity and desire for friendship and let that lead you to friendship with God. So the next time that you're sitting at a table and the candles are lit and you are experiencing gut belly laughter and you're like, I never want to leave this table. I cannot believe that we're friends. 
This is just so sweet. Think deep in my person, deep in my grain. I'm meant to know the God and Father of all things. Exactly like that. I'm made for friendship with God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.